This podcast is sponsored by GoGo, the leader in in-flight connectivity and wireless entertainment. Our superior technologies, best-in-class service, and global reach help planes fly smarter. Our partners perform better, and their passengers travel happier. Learn more at gogoair.com forward slash airline. I'm sure many of our listeners have figured out that this podcast is usually recorded in Florida. And because we're Floridians, we find cold weather to be truly a novelty. It's kind of like a couple of cavemen discovering fire for the first time. To some degree, that's us when it comes to cold weather. Snow plows, icy streets, wind chill factors. That's all very fascinating to us. Uh, Jason? Yeah? You're from Cleveland. Oh, stop spoiling the fun. I do live in Florida, and fascination with cold weather is indeed the inspiration for this week's show. Our first question is, how did Europe's cold climate airlines do in the October to December quarters? Iceland Air, Finnair, and Norwegian all had what might look like forgettable calendar fourth quarters, with operating margins in a tight range from a negative 2% to break even. But it's not that simple either, because they all had very different prospects going forward. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the engineer of the runaway train (laughs) that is Airline Weekly, Seth Kaplan, our managing partner. Besides those Scandinavian carriers, we'll talk about the revenue pressure at Spirit Airlines, Hawaiian Airlines dealing with the Japanese yen, and something called Airline 101. So grab your galoshes, your parkas, your Gore-Tex, or whatever people wear in the cold, because we have no idea. Jason. Okay, I guess I do remember, but it's fuzzy. We are clear on one thing, though. The Airline Weekly Lounge is starting out in Northern Europe. Thanks for joining us. Let's start with Finnair. Here's an airline that has a lot of challenges, but also a lot of reason for hope. But let's start with the bad news. Finnair pretty much broke even in the fourth quarter, which doesn't sound that terrible until you consider that its fuel costs dropped 14% year over year. Seth, why isn't Finnair enjoying the cheap fuel bonanza? Well, for for a lot of reasons that some other airlines aren't to varying degrees, Uh, you know, even even the euro its home currency of course you know it's not as strong as it once was so you know any airline that's trading in any currency weaker than us dollars is not getting the full benefit especially if they have some wrong way hedges and those sorts of things finnair of course is also more exposed than really any other european airline to asia and that was great for a few years uh you know and, and even then we always we would write an airline weekly kind of a one trick pony we would say hey the, the trick's working pretty well right now but watch out if things turn south well then they did of course, you had uh, Asian currencies weaken, which made it harder for people in places like Japan to buy airline tickets to places like Europe. Uh, and, and then you had things like the, you know, the terrorist attacks in Paris, which also dented inbound demand from Asia to points in Europe, specifically Japanese tourists going to Paris, for example. You know, that's the market that was hit the most, but a lot of other markets were hit, too. There, there's just a lot of other tough things about being an airline in their position, uh, they've got they've got a domestic uh, network that's actually bigger than a lot of people realize. A lot of uh, flights to points very far north in Finland that's been problematic for a while. Uh, even though you might think that that uh, you know because maybe not as competitive, it would be uh, be a, an easier place to do business. But um, uh, you know they're always working to turn to turn that around. And then in terms of transatlantic flying, because let's not forget they do some of that too. Uh, you know, not just flying to Asia, uh, a lot of competition. I mean, everything that Norwegian's doing, and I know you want to talk about them too, uh, you know, SAS expanding a lot. Uh, so just, just an airline that that's really 
uh, sort of been in the crossfire of a lot of the negative things that have gone on in, in, in Europe and elsewhere in the world. That's a long list, but in this week's Airline Weekly, we laid out a bit of a bullish case for 2016. Why is uh, why should Finnair be optimistic? Well, for one thing, uh, you know they're now a part of of the the big joint venture across the Atlantic with with uh, with British Airways, Iberia, American Airlines. Uh, it's a very powerful joint venture, and and Finnair's right there with them. That's helpful. Another thing I mentioned, you know, looking backward, the weak Asian currencies, but you know, don't look now, but those currencies have begun to appreciate somewhat recently. And so that helps a lot, uh, you know, when you're trying to sell tickets, airline tickets to Asians, like I said, particularly to uh, to the Japanese, a big source of traffic for uh, for Finnair. Um, their ancillaries were up 40% year over year. So that's something that they've really uh, started to plow into. Um, they are uh, going to be doing a premium economy, a true premium economy product. That's certainly a cause for optimism based on how well that's gone for airlines around the world. They're they're densifying their cabins and that too. Gosh, if there's if there's any surefire way to drive down your unit costs. I mean, that happens 100% at a time when you densify and uh, and almost always it, it, it also flows to the bottom line that you become more profitable. Uh, and that's not even all of it. So yeah, a lot a lot of reasons for optimism for an airline that will always have its strategic vulnerabilities just because of its of its size in a very crowded marketplace. Okay, densification, kind of like creatine for airlines. Yeah. Uh, moving to Norwegian, uh, they had a worse quarter. Uh, they with the negative two percent margin, and they only posted an operating margin of just four percent for the whole year. That's obviously not keeping up with the Ryanair and EasyJets of the world. How much of the problem is the fact they're based in a huge oil market? Well, it's problematic, uh, you know, both because of the well, what's happening in the market per se. Just, uh, you know, Norway is suffering and related to that, uh, what's happening to Norway's currency. Uh, so, again, like like all airlines that are you know, trading weak currencies, your your costs that are in dollars, you know, specifically your fuel costs, uh, your aircraft costs. And this is an airline with a lot of those. Every one of those Dreamliners that comes in, you know, just a whole lot of uh, capital expenditures and uh, and ownership costs, you know, th those costs are, are going to skyrocket in in terms of Norwegian Krona where they are right now. But look, they're they're still growing very rapidly too. You mentioned Ryanair, EasyJet, I mean, you know, Wizz Air, other airlines that are in terms of low cost carriers that are doing just fine. Whaling within the IAG group, you know, Norwegian is an airline that's been growing very, very rapidly. You know, and they've had their moments where they've looked like they've, you know, they've started to turn the corner. But overall, you know, just when you're growing that rapidly. You have a lot of immature markets, just by definition, and, and immature markets usually are difficult. Looking forward, they're going to continue growing that rapidly and um, and doing it long haul, which, you know, again, we've had that discussion about just the difficulties of the low cost long haul mo uh, model, you know, some respite right now because of cheap fuel. But still, um, yeah, it, it, you know. For a year when European airlines, and we, we haven't seen the last of the results yet from you know, some of the others haven't yet reported, but European airlines, uh, you know, generally, in general did respectably, a lot of them anyway, gosh, 4% margin for the year. You know, you're talking about an airline that's not recovering its cost of capital and, and uh, you know, hard, hard, hard to be optimistic that they'll be doing so uh, anytime very soon. Yes, they are struggling and they have very ambitious growth plans. Norwegian is looking to double its size in five years. Yeah. This might be a loaded question, but have you ever seen a struggling airline grow its way out of trouble? Yeah, God. Good question. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, look, when you grow, uh, especially when fuel is cheap, 
that has very positive effects on your cost structure. And just broadly speaking, uh, you know, when you think about airlines that have been successful in the world, I mean, just go back to, you know, Southwest basically invented the low cost model. That was the utilization model and the growth model was always about, you know, all about just you keep growing and you hammer down your unit costs um, and, and you don't worry too much about the revenue kind of how it always was for them because just their costs were so competitive that, uh, you know, their revenue could be mediocre and they would still lead the industry in profits. And, you know, nowadays it's, it's the ultra low cost carriers, especially that do that. But, but yeah, specifically growing your way out of trouble. It's hard to think of an example of that because the demand still has to be there. Um, you know, and, and when you're entering so many new markets all the time, the uh, you know, immature markets that, uh, that need time to develop. And when that's just always going to be a very big percentage of your uh, of your network, you know, that that's going to be tough. And they are entering lots of, of, of new markets. You know, it's, so there are obviously different ways to grow. I mean, you have very efficient ways to grow, such as densification, just putting seats on, you know, more seats onto to an aircraft, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, it's Finnair. And, you know, but there you're talking about existing markets and, and, and so forth. Uh, or you have, you know, adding frequencies in existing markets that are already developed and can support more capacity. But, you know, when you're opening up lots and lots of new mar- long-haul markets around the world, um, it's, it's, it's just going to take time. And uh, when you mention, you know, figures like what you just did, looking to you know, double in five years, hopefully the demand will catch up to the growth. They're going to have to depend on cheap fuel going forward to help fuel that. Because again, that, you know, we always have to remind ourselves that does lower the risk of everything, you know, so, so there are surely things that are working with their long haul operation right now uh, that wouldn't have worked with the uh, fuel costs where they were uh, a year or two ago, you know, but especially when they've sort of let lost one of the good cards in their deck in terms of the uh, Norwegian domestic market and outbound demand from Norway. Uh, you know, that obviously not their fault at all. It, it, that's that's going to further handicap their ambitions. Okay, moving a bit west, uh, Iceland Air, like Finnair, basically broke even in the fourth quarter. They had a slight net profit and slightly negative operating margin. But unlike Finnair, Iceland Air had a good 2015, and their Q4 was actually the first ever profitable fourth quarter for the airline. To a certain degree, they've managed to get their revenues in strong currencies and keep their costs in weak currencies. Explain that to me. Yeah, well, first of all, in terms of why the year can still be so good, it's because they are... uh, an airline that is more seasonal than most. I mean, they make a lot of money in the summer. Yeah, I mean, the old game used to just be try not to give it all back in the winter. But as you said, you know, they just had a quarter where they they didn't give it back. You know, they managed to uh, to at least break even to their credit. And, uh, you know, one thing is their their local market is, is small. Uh, they carry a lot of connecting traffic, including a lot of demand originating in the U.S., where, you know, where obviously the currency is is strong and so that helps them a lot in terms of and even back when iceland don't forget you know had a currency crisis uh, during the global financial crisis you know things were tough for them but but maybe not as tough as you would have thought because again their business is not mostly about selling tickets to people who are uh, who are in Iceland, although you know they have their own local market there Uh, so when their local currency is is weak you know, it becomes a great, uh, great inbound tourism market. I went to Iceland. Uh, I've been there a few times. I love Iceland. But, uh, you know, there's one time in, in the middle of the, the financial crisis where it was just it was just a great deal to be in a place that you want to be anyway. And, and yeah, and then they just sort of balance, you know, when the euro is stronger, they sell more tickets to Europeans when the dollar is stronger, more ticket, more uh, tickets to Americans. And, and so, yeah, they 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 managed to play the, the currency game pretty well, you know, and, and, and in terms of the costs, 
it's I mean, one thing is that because they own mostly depreciated aircraft, you know, they have a fleet of, of old 757s now taking 767s. Uh, what I mentioned to you a little while ago about a Norwegian with where all of a sudden you've got this CapEx that gets, you know, you know billions of dollars that just gets, you know, inflated because of your weak currency. You know, that doesn't happen to Iceland Air because they have aircraft that just aren't all that expensive. Uh, so, you know, the fuel costs, you know, obviously they pay for just like anybody else, but usually aircraft is, is the other huge area where you just get get killed as, as an airline who trades in a weak local currency. And uh, they just don't have that same exposure to aircraft costs because of that, uh, that cheap ownership cost, variable cost fleet, uh, which by the way, even that in and of itself, you know, when fuel is very expensive, I mean, they still like to run that variable cost airline, but gosh, those costs get pretty high. Those fuel costs when you're when you're flying older aircraft and fuel is expensive. Right now, you're just not as much of a disadvantage as as it uh, would be at other periods in history, which is not to say that Iceland Air does not believe in, uh, in eventually renewing its fleet because it, of course, has a, uh, a sizable B737 MAX order. Okay. And the success they had in 2015, that that all came without a very enviable fuel hedge position. Right. right. So they have that they have that to look forward to as well then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's 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 the that's the tailwind. That's always the the good news about airlines that have had bad hedges is that, you know, if fuel just kind of plateaus and stays roughly where it is right now, those airlines that had the bad hedges will actually see their, you know, effective fuel prices continue falling. Whereas the airlines that were in a better hedge position, you know, especially the unhedged airlines of the world, you know, American Airlines most prominently, but others too, uh, you know, they've already gotten all of that benefit for them to pay less for fuel. Fuel cost would ha- spot fuel prices would, would actually have to drop some more. So we have three airlines all performing about the same in the last quarter, but it doesn't sound like it's all just because of the cold weather. No, not not at all. Uh, okay, I'm glad we cleared yeah, that yeah, up. Touche. <laughs> All right, moving on to Spirit. Uh, Spirit reported earnings last week, and I do mean earnings with a whopping 23% operating margin, a fantastic number for the fourth quarter. We explain how they did it in this week's issue, but what I want to talk about is the revenue picture. Uh, we've been watching the revenues for all the U.S. carriers, and Spirit's was pretty striking. Despite growing capacity by 31%, Ticket revenues still declined by 2%. How did that compare to the U.S. counterparts? Well, that in and of itself compared poorly, uh, you know, to, to, to have that kind of growth. and It, w- uh, it was the worst. Yeah. I read the issue. Exactly. <laughs> Don't give it all away. You know? yeah. <laughs> Got to sell subscriptions around here, right? But uh, it, uh, it, it, uh, yeah, it was very poor. But, you know, first of all, I just want to highlight one thing you said. You said ticket revenue. Uh, remember, this is an airline that, that uh, you know, does the non-ticket revenue game, the ancillary game as, as well as anybody. And so when you added it all up, their 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 total passenger revenues were, were still were still up and actually up nicely ten uh, percent if I recall correctly but you know having said that even that you can see that gap the thirty one percent growth and even the ten percent growth counting the ancillaries uh you know a big disparity there you know obviously their yields have fallen significantly but you know in in that race to the bottom like we've talked about between the falling fuel prices. And the falling yield, even for Spirit, you know, even with those very ugly uh, yield declines and unit revenue declines, they had a more profitable uh, fourth quarter this year than they had last year. And it makes sense that the lowest cost carrier is feeling the most revenue pressure, correct? Because with the low fuel prices, uh, you get low ticket prices, and that makes it harder for Spirit to differentiate itself, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, 
their former CEO, Ben Baldanza, used to say, and, and without putting words in his mouth, I assume the, the uh, current CEO, Bob Fernaro, would, you know, would mostly agree, at least, that Ben used to say the price is the product. And, and what, he, what he meant by that was that most other U.S. airlines sell some mix of, you know, I mean, they all want to you know, talk about over oh, a good value, you know, uh, uh, you know, meaning cheap enough, but also something else, you know, so, some kind of magical experience to one degree or another, uh, you know, obviously with the exception of, of Allegiant and, and uh, I guess, you know, t- to some degree these days Frontier, but, but, you know, everybody else, uh, you know, whether you know, it's JetBlue, I mean, they, they don't, you know, they don't want people to think they're too expensive, but they want to think they're getting something more than just cheap. Whereas Spirit, you know, always felt that if it's cheap, you know, in addition to being safe and reliable enough that it's done its job because that's because that was what they were selling. That was what they were touting and, and you know, not over promising with anything else. And when fuel was expensive and when prevailing airfares were high, you know, they could really differentiate themselves on price. And that is just harder to do now when you have other airlines that do also offer something else, uh, you know, a, a, a slightly more magical experience, at least maybe also offering somewhat cheap airfare. So again, they're still doing very well, but you can see that pressure where it's just become harder for them to uh, to undercut the competition in, in, in some markets at least. This is probably a dangerous comparison, but has Ryanair, being Spirit's European ultra-low-cost counterpart, has Ryanair seen the same sort of revenue pressure as fuel prices have fallen? Not as much. They had a worse fourth quarter in Spirit just because they always, Europe is more seasonal, but they had a phenomenal year. So, uh, yeah, no, just, just, uh, just, just not as much. You know, Ryanair varies their capacity quite a bit and then that's the game they play in the winter a few years ago they they took out a lot of capacity for the winter uh you know with with fuel being cheaper they um you know didn't bring it down as much this past winter but they've done a pretty good job just kind of keeping the yields high spirit doesn't run as seasonal of an airline uh you know they are a high utilization airline uh they've actually talked about maybe uh, uh, dialing down the utilization a bit partly just for operational reasons to, to become a little more reliable but but anyway, so so yeah, so for them, you know, when when demand just kind of isn't there to support the same kind of yields they had gotten, they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to feel it more in a quarter like the fourth quarter, whereas uh, Ryanair just sort of plays more of the game of kind of uh, dialing down the capacity to match the lower demand in the winter. Although it's it's just different because in Europe, I mean, you kind of have to do that because the 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 demand variability is just much more from the summer to the winter than it is in, in the U.S. Staying in the U.S. for a minute, one U.S. airline whose earnings report we haven't yet talked about is Hawaiian Airlines. They had a great fourth quarter, 16% operating margin. During the fourth quarter, the Japanese yen was really low, but judging by the results, Hawaiians seemed immune to it. But now the yen is rising. Should Hawaiian be nervous or happy about that? Yeah, generally happy. You know, I mean, it's it, you know, you with a lot of things you get. You know, when you have something bad happen, you get some kind of mitigating benefit. You know, Hawaiian has a has a pretty nicely diversified network where when the yen was was you know cheap, they uh, were, or you know was was uh, was at its lowest. They managed, but generally speaking, if you're Hawaiian, you are selling a lot of airline tickets to to Japanese tourists who want to come to Hawaii, and so a strong yen is is good in that regard. So uh, overall, you know. The simplest answer is that yeah, they they like a strong yen, even though they uh, they certainly navigated the uh, weekend environment reasonably well. To be clear, I say the, talking about like it's in the past tense. I mean, the yen is still you know weaker than it was, but at least it's you know, weaker than it was years ago, but still off its lows, as you said. 
Okay. Now, you know how we've been doing the occasional existential question? Well, I've got a new type of question. It's called the Airline 101 question, and fairly obviously, it's about the basics of the airline business. So here's our first Airline 101 question. A few weeks ago, we were talking about Alaska Airlines and mentioned that leisure traffic tends to better withstand economic softness. I thought that sounded counterintuitive. I would think that leisure traffic was more discretionary than business traffic and therefore more sensitive to economic headwinds, but apparently that's not the case. Yeah, and and, and it's it's a good question, and there are a number of reasons for that. And obviously, we're we're speaking broadly. You know, there 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 are exceptions, but basically, what it comes down to is that you know when when corporations slash travel budgets, you, you know, and and right now, for example, well, if you, if you take let's say the US economy okay overall it's 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 holding up reasonably well although you know there's kind of growing talk of you know are things turning south but uh, you know if you look at the oil markets uh you know a place like Houston the the numbers that are coming out of there corporations slashing travel budgets by 20 30 40% you know don't forget corporate travel you know corporate travelers spend more when they travel uh, to begin with so it, there it, there's just a lot farther for it to fall. You know, you have people who are flying around the world on 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 business class tickets, five, six, eight thousand um, dollars, and and up for round trips. And those corporations are slashing their travel budgets. The impact on an airline is just a lot greater than when you have somebody who was you know paying two hundred fifty dollars to uh, uh, to go to Disney World and now has uh, a little less wherewithal to spend. That's a lot of it is is just a question of, uh, of of where the starting point is. Even though to be clear, it, recessions are bad for all kinds of travel. You you do get people trading down. You know you get people who the same person who was able to afford a, a seat with extra legroom last year maybe can't this year if they're in a place where there's a recession and all of those kinds of things. But just the leisure fares just just don't have as far to fall as the the corporate fares, especially when you're starting at a, at a place where you know for the past several years a lot of markets have been very very healthy. All right. We'll leave it right there. I'm, for one, feeling enlightened. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the Airline Weekly Lounge on iTunes or at the Airline Weekly website. Also, don't forget Seth's book, Lori, Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. Until next week, thanks for joining us in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Going back to Cleveland this summer. Yeah, summer, eh? <laughs>